This is an AMI podcast. Hey, it's me, Lawrence Gunther, host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, heard on AMI-audio. I love exploring the great outdoors with my guide dog, and I want you to be just as comfortable exploring your community and beyond. Check out my show for the latest outdoor accessibility tips, tech, and insights. Listen to Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther wherever you listen to great podcasts. I'm Jovita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. If you listen to this show regularly, or if you've heard me before on AMI-audio, you know that I'm constantly changing my mind about a guide dog. To get one or not to get one, I'm told that having a guide dog makes you safer. Compared to a white cane, it's a whole other level of independence for a blind traveler. On the other hand, guide dogs don't live as long as we do, so I worry about getting attached and then having to retire the guide dog in 10 years or so. I feel it's a big commitment, and I wouldn't want to make the decision lightly. Today, we discuss the documentary, Making of a Guide Dog. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Joitha Gupta and I'm the host of the program. As I say off the top of every show, I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing as those COVID numbers climb across the country, I hope everyone is staying safe and you're looking after yourselves. Remember to wash those hands regularly, wear your masks, practice social distancing, uh, but also keep in touch with the people in your life, friends, families. Reach out to us at AMI. If you're not by yourselves, we're happy to chat with you, hear what you have to say. I have a lot I want to talk about on today's program, so I'm just going to dive right in. We're talking today about the documentary, Making of a Guide Dog, and I'm speaking with the executive producer and the subject of the documentary, a voice that you would have heard often on AMI-audio and AMI-tv, Lawrence Gunther. Welcome to The Pulse. It is so exciting to have you. Yeah, me too, Joey. It's great to be on your show. I, you know, I've watched, uh, listened to your show evolve, and uh, I'm really excited. It's a great, great uh, deep dive on so many important issues. You know what? Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> uh, so let's you know i'm I'm actually really looking forward to this conversation because i think you and i often get really deep into conversations so let's just jump right into making of a guide dog what is the premise of the documentary how did it all get started well you know it's 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 something i've had uh, a bugaboo for years you know i've been getting guide dogs for 34 years now i got my first one in the states and then i've got uh, all my arrest in uh, from quebec which is the oldest guide dog school in Canada. But now the mm-hmm. CNIB got into doing guide dogs, and, and I approached them, and I said, look, I'm tired of training my guide dogs after I come home to do all the things I like to do, like being in the outdoors. So, I mean, guide dogs are trained primarily to get you around the city, you know, dealing with transit, subways, trains, buses, people, construction, offices, all of that. But I, you know, I, I get out. I go outside the city all the mm-hmm. time. I spend a lot of time outside the city. So I need a dog that's really as comfortable being in the outdoors as it is in the city. 
And, you know, when you decide to switch from one guide dog school to another, I feel it's a, it's, if I can use the analogy, it's a bit like being married and then you decide, you know what, nah, it's not working out. I'm going to try somebody else. What is it that attracted you about the CNIB's guide dog program? It's a relatively new program. Is that what kind of piqued your interest? You thought, well, because it's a new program, I can really make a difference here? It is. And, you know, and I, I approached uh, the president of the CNIB, John Rafferty, and I, I said to him, John, I said, you know, Canada's a big country. Not everyone lives in the city. Is this program going to be servicing all Canadians? He's absolutely Lawrence. I said, well, let me give you a hand. I said, I've got some experience in training dogs. And I told him my story and he knows me well. And he said, Lawrence, he said, it's a great idea. I also pitched him, Joey, to this idea that, you know, maybe if I worked with the CNIB, you know, with a bunch of trainee guide dog trainees, I could pick one that I like mm-hmm. the most at the end, right, to be my next guide dog. Well, he, mm-hmm. we thought that was pretty funny and, and you know, kind of like a little take from, uh, you know, from, from the bachelor kind of thing, right? But, you know, give the dog a food. <laughs> <laughs> but in the end, no one really gets to pick their guide dog. I mean, it's just, it's there's too much subjectivity when you're meeting these dogs and when you're working with the dogs. You fall in love with all of them. And sometimes, you know, you really need that objective scientific uh, perspective what the trainers bring to the table for them to say, Lord, this is this is who you are and this is what we think is the best match for you. And uh, there's no perfect dog, but there's a perfect dog for each person. So really what we did is I took seven dogs with the trainers and we did over nine months. We did all this filming, doing outdoor activities. And, 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 you know, for a lot of the trainers, they, they were saying, Lawrence, we've never seen anyone do this with their dogs before, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it because this is your life and, and mm-hmm. the dog should be able to do this. So we did, you know, canoeing and snowshoeing, and you name it, you know, we were doing it and uh, we filmed all these adventures over nine, 10 months. And then in episode eight or so about, you know, near the end, um, they pick one dog one of the seven dogs for me and and i told him i said right from the beginning i said if i don't get to pick you don't tell me until we decide at the end because you know i'm i'm falling in love with each dog and i don't want to have an argument mm-hmm. with them every month oh i want this dog or i want that dog or, you know just let it go to the end when the dogs are all done their training and and they're certified you know they're they're, they're ready to be placed and then pick one for me and that's what we mm-hmm. did you know, it's interesting because when you watch episodes of uh, of this pro of making of a guide dog on YouTube, there are clips, and if you start to watch them, you start to notice that Lawrence, you have a relationship with each of these dogs. You start to get to know them a little bit. Um, you, of course, give us the stats. You know, this is the color, this is the gender, this is the breed, this is the um, you know how much they weigh, but you also get to learn the personality. So talk to us a little bit about the seven or so dogs that you were involved with for this project. Give us a glimpse into the personalities. How was one different from the other? There were some dogs that were absolutely beautiful, loving creatures, and all dogs are loving. And but some are more dominant, some are more passive, some need a stronger personality to match to balance their strong personality. Other dogs, you know. Uh, would be intimidated by that and and might just say, well, okay, if you know best, then you lead the way, right? But that could be dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, it was, I never put any of these dogs in the harness. Like none of them were ever put in the harness by me and they never Mm -hmm. showed up for any of our film sessions in a harness. They just showed up in a vest with a leash and a collar. 
And uh, so really, I got to play with these dogs, and and and, and I'm just blown away, Julia. Yeah, I mean, I got to know these dogs when they're 12 months old, and, and spent you know eight months with them, nine months with them, so you know right to the end. But to see them like they're so young and they're so playful, half the time these dogs were just wrestling with each other. And <laughs> <around>. <laughs> they're <laughs> so energetic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is whether you think you might have hit on something here. So you heard me say off the top that I'm very undecided about a guide dog. You've been using one for about 30 odd years. You have a little more experience than I do. Let's just acknowledge that. Uh, But, you know, do you think you've hit on something here? Because a lot of the conventional guide dog training involves the dog going through a period of socialization. They have the puppy trainers, and then they go through some amount of training at the schools. And eventually, they're still relatively young, but when they're paired with the blind person who ends up taking the dog home. Uh, But a lot of that initial training has already happened. Uh, Do you think you've hit on a different model or a unique model to train guide dogs where they get exposure to the person who will be working with them from the outset, from a much younger age, where you kind of almost tailor the training to the lifestyle of the blind person who will eventually be working in a partnership with the guide dog? I don't think any of that's going to change in terms of, you know, let's face it, when you get a guide dog, you're the third person in that dog's life. So there's the family that they live with for the first 12 months. Then there's the trainer. And, you know, the, you know, once, and then there's you, but for the mm-hmm. first two stages, you know, as a puppy, um, there, yeah. So there's a lot of going on there with these dogs in terms of their bonding and, and, and they're moving on from human to human. Um, I think it's important. What I did, really, what I was doing was training the trainers more than training the dogs. And Mm -hmm. I was passing on those skills to the trainers, that awareness, that understanding, so that when they get an application from someone in, say, uh, you know, Tuktiaktuk and up in the Arctic or someone in some northern or remote or rural location, and they say, look, I, you know, and the person says, I spend a lot of my time, you know, in a canoe or, or walking on paths in the forest, or I do a lot of hiking, or I'm a, you know, I'm a runner, or, you know, they talk about their lives. They can then go to their, their you know, their training manuals and say, okay, this we need to make sure this dog is comfortable in this and this and this. We need to make sure before we go out there with a dog or two and, and to the individual's home and say, here's the dog for you. But it's never been outside the city before. Now, you know, these dogs will have that experience, will have had that opportunity to be trained and exposed to these different things that will come up in, in their next, in their first job, right, as a, as a certified mm-hmm. guide dog. And that, that can be really helpful because it then it takes the pressure off the the person who is going to get the dog to to expose Mm -hmm. the dog to that sort of thing something that was so unique for these particular guide dogs was just having the presence of cameras and having this documentary made at the same time we see how the guide dogs react to their environment whether they're out fishing or snowshoeing or what have you we see all of that on camera i'm just curious did the guide dogs take an interest in the cameras themselves or were they just completely relaxed and they didn't didn't really care <laughs> I, I i've been around some dogs that they're they see that eye from the camera looking at them that lens staring at them and they get they they see it as aggression 
and they, they growl oh. on cameras. But none of these dogs, I, I have to say that none, not one of these dogs ever exhibited any aggression towards the camera. There was one of the dogs that um, was rejected about a, through the training process. And, um, and, and, and because it did show some aggression to uh, during the training process. And you can't have a guide dog showing aggression. I no. mean, dogs will become naturally protective over time. But you don't want to have a dog that's going to growl and snap at someone if it gets its toe stepped on on a, on a city bus, right? I mean, you can't have mm-hmm. that. You can't have that. So, yeah, so there's guide dogs for the most part are trained and bred and selected for being non-aggressive uh, in nature and personality. These are not, you know, champion uh, hunters or, you know, steal the stream kind of dogs. These are dogs that are mm-hmm. much more uh, oriented around humans and people. Exactly. And also very intelligent. They often go with uh, Labradors. They believe that's what CNIB is going with as well. Golden Labs and Black Labs and Labs are known to be exceedingly intelligent. Uh, Lawrence, one of the things that I really loved about the documentary when I was watching it is it is, in fact, a bit of a family affair. It was so nice to see that your kids were involved. uh, Your whole family was part of the process. Tell me about that, because it's not very often that someone who gets to just not only be in a documentary, but have the whole family involved. Yeah, like I mean, think about it. You, you bring these dogs into your home, right? It, and how how many times have I come home from a, a, a training center and said, "Surprise! Here's the new dog." <laughs> <laughs> so, and it, and it, we have we live with the dog together. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's important that people don't bond with your dog. I mean, you you have to be the one who bonds with your dog. The dog has to look to you. So. You know, otherwise you're going to be trying to leave the house and the dog's going to go, oh, it's okay, you go ahead without me. I'm going to stay here in this <laughs> nice warm house with my friends. <laughs> I'll let your kids pet me. You figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You'll be fine. My name is Juwita Gupta and with me is Lawrence Gunther, who is the executive producer and subject of Making of a Guide Dog. We're talking about the documentary, which will be airing on AMI-tv on December 3rd. But we're also talking today about some of the challenges, the pitfalls, the opportunities and possibilities of being a blind documentary filmmaker. So, Lawrence, I ask everyone who has ever come to this show, and made a documentary, irrespective of whether they have a disability. And so I'm going to ask you too, okay? You're not being singled out here. Yeah. What is it about the documentary filmmaking process that attracts you? What do you love about it? Look, I, I was registered blind when I was eight, but I, I was only missing my central vision. So I, I was able to do a lot of things with, uh, with by looking. And it was only in my mm-hmm. early 20s that I had to learn to live with, you know, in other ways besides looking. And... But it's always been a fascination with me is how do people see, how do people, what do people like to see, and uh, what do people miss when they're watching things? And I think, Mm. I truly think, and this, I think it deserves a lot more exploration and study, that we, you know, blind people are great storytellers and have been Mm -hmm. for millennia for millennia right i mean before the internet before this before the written word before books before any of that stuff a lot of society a lot of communities depended on blind people for their entertainment for their local for their Mm -hmm. knowledge for their you know to recall those stories that were hundreds and hundreds of years old and to tell those stories accurately you know during those dark nights stormy days 
and, and pass on that knowledge and entertain people during those you know difficult times. And, I, and to do that now with the camera, to, to apply that video, because everyone is so video oriented in the world today through, you know, pictures and moving video now and so on, and soon artificial intelligence and augmented reality. I think, I think there's something to be said for uh, people, blind people, to find ways to use this technology to explore the world and show the world the way they see the world. And the way they visualize the world, because because we've, I think, sighted people are limited to what they see, and they they say, well, I got to see it to believe it. There it is. So now I believe it. But mm-hmm. as a blind person, you go much deeper. You go way into the details. You go past that, and you look and 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 to be able to do that in a documentary, I think it can be a much more impactful documentary. When you think about documenting the lived experience of blindness. Even if one is uh, blind themselves, do you think we're nevertheless susceptible to fetishizing our, the disability or or providing perceptions of the disability uh, that might be stereotypical? Are these things that even as a content creator with a disability, Lawrence, you think we need to be aware of or does that self-awareness um, not really factor in if you have the lived experience of being a filmmaker or documentary maker with a disability? It, it it's there's two streams here, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who do uh, speaking and um, writing and talking and podcasting and and filmmaking about what it is to live with a disability. And there's mm-hmm. people who are interested in that. People who have disabilities themselves, people who know or family members or know of people with disabilities, or people just curious. Mm-hmm. I think, too, there's a lot of people that make good money doing this because, you know, there's all sorts of examples of people who document their lives, their exceptional lives, their extraordinary lives, and in books and film, and then go around doing keynote speeches where they inspire, uh, you know, others to work harder, to live more, you know, impactfully, to to achieve and strive and and. Because you have no reason, right? You, you're not blind. So mm-hmm. if a blind person can do this, surely you could do this or more. And so it's very motivational, and, and there's a lot of corporations that buy that stuff, and a lot of right. you know people are making good money doing that. But I mm-hmm. think I think that's not that's totally different than what we're talking about. And what you know, mm-hmm. like I, not much of my filmmaking over the years has dealt with blindness, and I've quite often rejected to talk about that and to have that come into the story because if if you think about a lot of that storytelling around blindness in popular literature music and even the bible it's none of it's flattering you you mentioned blindness it's always horrific it's always you know Mm -hmm. stupid people doing dumb things and and it's not positive at all and if we we you know we could either buy into that and 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 sort of portray that those stereotypes or we can say look you know i don't need to explain myself to you it's nothing to do with the story i'm telling what i'm going to do though is i'm going to take my unique perspective and tell this story Mm -hmm. in a somewhat different way so that maybe you'll you'll find it more impactful Mm -hmm. 
So then let's talk a little bit about making of a guide dog. I mean, you're not just the subject, but you have quite a hand in the documentary, just in behind the scenes. And a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, they may not realize that unless we talk about it. So let's talk about it. I mean, what are some of the things that you did behind the scenes? How involved were you with the production? What you know, role did you have in deciding what gets talked about, what the episodes are going to look and sound and feel like, and what gets edited out and what gets kept in? I, well, I created the ideas. I, I put mm-hmm. together the concept. I, I scripted uh, each episode. But, you know, it's a documentary. So the scripting is you don't have lines that people rehearse and repeat. They're, it's got to be more natural and it's got to be real. So you have, okay, these are the topics we're going to cover. Let's see what happens on camera. And then we said, well, okay, that was interesting. And then sometimes we had to go back. You know, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, the, the guide dog trainers, they said, Lawrence, we weren't happy in how we were uh, portrayed in that segment that we just filmed. You know, we talked about it afterwards, and we think we could have done a much better job at portraying a much better message than what was captured because this was all so new to us. And I mm-hmm. said, fair enough. Let's get the camera crew back, and we'll do it all over again. And there was cost. We'd like to do that, you know, to film things twice and to bring the film crew mm-hmm. in twice to do this. That's all extra cost. But when you're breaking new ground, when you're covering new territory, you know, you can either elect to show the warts and all the dead ends and all the missteps, or you could say, well, that would have been interesting, you know, from a blooper perspective, but that's not what we're <laughs> doing here. What we're doing here is trying mm-hmm. to move forward the conversation not just go in circles so yeah you mm-hmm. refilm you reshoot and you do it again and then it becomes what you're looking for impactful and useful information so there was a lot of that um you know and then some of the stuff we filmed you know we didn't use a lot of stuff you don't use and i don't get into the editing so much like i mm-hmm. think the editors it's good when an editor looks at all the, the film and and it brings a fresh perspective to it because at that point I'm so invested and I'm so involved I've lost my objectivity right I've lost right. my objectivity to me it's just a whole bunch of stuff that happened mm-hmm. I can't think about it objectively so you bring in a fresh set of eyes a fresh set of um, awareness uh, with the editor and they look go through this and they go well this is interesting this is interesting I mean they have to understand the theme that you're looking for and the, the purpose and the intent and and you gotta tell them look. You know, I understand you want to capture some of those blind moments, you know, that I am blind. And you can't just ignore that. It's part of the story. But it can't be the focus. You can't just be, mm-hmm. Lawrence is blind, and look at him now. He's standing up straight. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it, there's, you've got to beat the editors up sometimes. You've got to beat them up a little bit. You've got to beat up the camera crew a little bit. And my big thing, though, Julia, is, is I always tell my camera people, never stop filming. Like, if I'm going <laughs> to fall down or fall off or, you know, you don't mm-hmm. stop filming to protect me. You film it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm film, I, I'm coming into this with full awareness that things are going to happen. Their job is not to protect me or save me. Mm-hmm. Their job is to film me. And, and, right. and getting that, you know, bumps and that's part, that can be part of the story, too. Like our first attempt at cross-country skiing with one of those dogs, that did mm-hmm. not go well. That did not go yeah. well at all. You know, I saw you fell down that. a couple of times there, but they just kept right on filming. And that just goes to show you that that's the process, right? That's the process. Exactly. This happened. This happened in real life. You know, sometimes it doesn't work out so well. <laughs> and that's interesting, right? It's interesting that not everything works perfectly. But, 
you know, as a, as a person, like you just, you, you fall down, you get up, try it again, fall down, get up, try it again. That's, that's what you do in life, right? Exactly. Now, a lot of us are dealing with that in real life, this, this falling down and getting back up again, especially in these, with this COVID environment. And Lawrence, I know how much you love the outdoors, know how much you love outdoor activity. So in the few minutes that we have left, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you in, in, at this time when we're all being asked to stay home and self-isolate, what's the significance of being in nature? What's the significance of being outdoors? I think from a mental health perspective, that awe factor you have when you're underneath a canopy of big trees or in a forest and you hear the wind going through the trees and the birds and the water washing up on the shore and it, you, it makes you feel insignificant. It makes you feel small. It makes you feel, you know, uh, the real truth that you are insignificant and small in, in perspective of the real world. So your all your, your problems become very insignificant and small. And that's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing when you're in nature is to, is to be able to have that perspective again, to regain that real perspective that, hey, the world is going on. There's still birds, there's still trees, there's still everything's happening. And, and fish and the water and animals, that's all still happening. And, uh, you know, my fears and, and worries and concerns are minuscule and compared to the big picture it's just it puts it all in perspective lawrence gunther we thank you for your perspective it was so nice to have you on the program i feel like we're talking after i want to say at least a year maybe a year and a half but it has really flown by (laughs) it was so fun it was so fun being uh doing the the, the shows with you you know we we really had a lot of fun talking about so many different topics and i hope we get to talk about some more things uh, down the road i'm sure we will I'm sure we will. Lawrence Gunther is the producer and the subject of a documentary, Making of a Guide Dog, which will air on AMI-TV on December 3rd at 11 a.m. Eastern and 7 p.m. Eastern. But I would recommend you check AMI.ca for the airtime. And of course, you can also check our show blog, AMI.ca forward slash on the pulse. I'm going to say that I think Lawrence really hit the nail on the head there when he said that, especially at this time during covid it's really important to go out and be in nature, experience the outdoors and allow your problems to at least for a moment fade into insignificance and enjoy all the things that the world has to offer. It was a real pleasure speaking to Lawrence. Thank you so much for being on the program. I'd also like to extend my warmest thanks to my editor, who is also the technical producer of The Pulse, Nasreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio and Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. But most of all, Thank you, everyone, for listening and have a wonderful rest of your day. It's been great being with you. This has been The Pulse on AMI-audio, and I've been your host, Shweta Gupta. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. 
Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.